we don't acknowledge what's the opposite of live laugh love um die cry hate <laughs> New sticker alert. <laughs> hey, it's Anisha. And this is Atifa. And we are the AM PM Bibliophiles. Welcome back, guys. This week, Anisha and I are talking about The Heart by Melis de Karengel. Never knew how to pronounce that name. Um, yeah, French. so. <laughs> Ooh la la. Wee wee wee. like. Before we get into trouble by the French, um, Anisha, can you give us your one sentence summary of the book? My one sentence summary for The Heart is a vivid and reflective story about the many lives affected and intertwined by death. Oh, you're going to be so disappointed when you hear mine. Hold Let's on. Say it like that. No, 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 you will be. Okay, so the overlap of lives affects affected by the death of Simon. <laughs> oh, you got to the point and you know, you hit all the right, all the right bars. <laughs> <laughs> Look, guys, I'm gonna be real honest from the get-go. This book wasn't my exact cup of tea. And it's not because of the subject. I feel like the subject was pretty interesting and in the overall theme of the plot but I think at least the translation that I had I just did not feel like it didn't feel good reading it because I, I felt like I got lost in translation some things didn't translate right and I was having a huge problem with the grammar <laughs> so many <laughs> run-on sentences but what about you Atifa what are, you, what are your kind of initial thoughts or overall thoughts yeah so I, I've got a little secret to share with you Anisha I still didn't finish the book <laughs> Oh my god that is that's facts right there no you guys we we were a, a week overdue on this book because i was slow and anisha was the great person that she is she just went through the whole thing even though she didn't like it and i as much as i tried to push myself just could not here's the thing though i remember reading some reviews online people praised the translation people were praising the translation for how good it was and like no doubt it is the language is top notch it's just dense it's like a, a really dense way, like the type of writing where they'll spend two pages talking about a particular description of a thing. I could open up any single page, right? Read a whole page and it'll be describing the same thing. I was reading the overview synopsis online just before this, and it says this entire, the book takes place over 24 hours. This didn't feel like 24 hours. It did not feel like 24 hours. And one of my biggest issues with the book was so it cycles through all these different people affected by Simon. I want to say Limbres, but that's probably not right. It's probably like Limbras or Limbres or something. I don't know, French. <laughs> Simon. Well, he died in a car accident. And it kind of cycles through all the different POVs of all the people that are affected by his death, like his parents, his girlfriend, the doctors um, working on him, the nurses, even some of the people, because the whole kind of point of this novel is his parents coming to terms that he's dead and the fact that the doctor who kind of worked on Simon was like we want to use him as an organ donor and they're like mm -hmm. um first it feels like you didn't help our son and second now you want to chop him up and give his parts away 
and they had a huge issue with that like they kept going back and forth in various portions of the book about them being like should we should we not like will it still be Simon like will it still be him like his essence will it still be there and then ultimately they give consent for him to donate his organs and they talk about all the different people or they mention some of the different people where you know like his liver goes to this girl and his lungs to another and the main one was his heart which is what the title is and they have this section about this lady Claire that I did not know was the receiver of the organ donor. I was like who is Claire how is she related to Simon she's not his girlfriend she's not his mom who is Claire I was like what is this so my biggest issue with this book was it didn't flow well when it switched POVs like some sections it did between like the mom and the doctor and some other people it kind of worked because it was like one scene just like flipping the perspective but then other parts of the book it just switched to a whole different person like with his girlfriend I was like who the hell is Juliet then it was like a sex scene and I was like huh like what's <laughs> going on <laughs> yeah I just for all of its like again the only main praise I will give to the heart and to the author is the vividness of her description like she painted such a beautiful picture and the way her kind of stream of consciousness style of writing worked it was kind of cool to see that kind of length of mind talk I guess happening between some of the different characters like with the mom I really liked reading the sections that she had when she talked about her grief and her coming to the terms that Simon is gone and her guilt and you know even just for some of the other people too it was interesting but then would you say yourself that there were certain parts of this book that weren't needed like, like why did we need to know about the nurse's life like <laughs> did she have to go on a little mini biography on all of these people like was that necessarily needed there is one thing that i am reconsidering so uh, what i said before so you know how it's 24 hours after the death of simon and it didn't feel like 24 hours maybe that the the, the writing is trying to replicate that slow slowness of time that does happen as well after the death of like a loved one um where time just seems to hold still and not matter anymore so it's less about the passing of time and more about just you getting consumed in all your feelings if that's the case i think that makes proper sense i think that makes proper sense and it is an it is it is an extremely well written book like you said the only like downside for it, for for me was the fact that i was reading other dense um books that were information heavy and so coming towards like a more for pleasure read and getting that same kind of dense densely written um style just didn't work for me and it as much as i tried to push through it it wasn't the time like honestly some books need have a specific time that you should read them um at. yeah it's it's a really dense book like if dense books aren't the vibe for you i wouldn't recommend this overall concept and plot and everything that's kind of the whole point of the heart I enjoyed it from like a grief perspective because like you said you know it's about the 24 hours and the style if that's the case it works with that really well I just as you were talking did a quick google search and found out that they actually adapted this to a film that's called Heal the Living and it was released in 2016 so if anyone wants to see this book to movie adaptation definitely check it out um seems pre pretty much similar to the plot of the book but not only is it, the thing with this book that I just struggle like 
reading it was just not only the denseness, but sometimes I would get lost in so much of the words because she used, and it could just be the translation. There's just so much complex word choices and all these things happening that you're kind of like, huh? Um, <laughs> there was one word that I thought was funny because um, in the book, they keep saying operating theater, operating theater. And I'm like, in the US, it's operating table, like operating room. <laughs> it's like the theater. <laughs> Seeing a movie, like, this is not how it works. But, you know, that's just probably because they translated it to a UK English versus US English. Yeah. So I thought that was a little funny joke in my head. <laughs> that's fair. But Simon's life, you know, I thought from when it started, it, he, it was going to be like, I didn't think that he was going to die. I thought it was everything to do with the heart operation. Because my synopsis of the book was kind of like everything that goes around in this like operating theater table and like how the family deals with it. So I thought if this was like a pressured book, kind of like you said, 24 hours, but all about them operating Simon and whether he'll survive or not. And like, you know, things leading up to the ac accident and to the surgery and then post afterwards. I didn't think it was going to be, this is how he died. We can't do anything, but um, can we have his body? <laughs> I didn't think it was gonna go that way so that was one surprise I would say yeah well I guess they don't want to just introduce it to a, a cadaver essentially um and have no kind of feeling to towards it maybe that's what the whole premise was supposed to be about um I think it would have been equally as interesting though if we hadn't figured out if we hadn't um heard about the the cause of the death and the the like events leading up to it as well uh because a big part of of death is that those who le get left behind and through those who get left behind their stories you kind of develop an attachment as well um to the deceased person could have gone either way i didn't have an opinion either and i didn't have an expectation of what it would be unlike and like you i guess um but yeah let's talk about like the premise of this whole thing organ donation thoughts feelings I mean, I think on my driver's license, I am signed up as an organ donor. Um, oh, voice crack there. <laughs> <laughs> Puberty. <laughs> um, yeah, on my license, I have on there like the thing that says that I'm a sort of like I'm organ donor if I get into a car crash. Because I, I think, you know, if there's good parts of me that are usable for someone else who is in need of them, why not? You know, it sucks to think that you know, when you're born, you have one set of stuff, like you don't get an extra pair of heart or lungs or whatever, you just get the body you get, you're blessed with. But the idea of ogre, ogre, <laughs> organ <laughs> donor, donation. Gosh, I know, <laughs> Stop. <laughs> we can't get into that again. <sighs> Triggered from Shaka's love. Anyway, back, recap. Organ donation. Yes. Um, the whole concept of it, I think, is so genius because it sucks to think that this person could survive if they just had a better kidney or, you know, a better liver or whatever. And to have, you know, if someone died in their sleep or died because of some other disease, but their organs are fine, why not put them to use if they could have another 25 years left out of them? So I think it's fabulous and I support it wholeheartedly, but I respect people who decide not to do it if they feel uncomfortable, if that's just not the vibe for them. But what about mm. you? 
Yeah, I, I stand uh, um, in the same place as you. Um, fully think it's an individual decision. That's not something that you can try and force onto others. And I wonder, um, was the thing with Simon that he he did want his organs to be donated, but it's his parents who were uncertain? Was that the storyline, or was it just Simon's young? He hadn't thought about that, and he, thus it was up to his parents to make See, that decision. I I don't know what the consent is for that. I do like maybe it's like a cultural thing that's different like maybe in france if you die and your organs can be used for someone else maybe it's the hospital that has to contact the next living member to get their consent for the person who's deceased because he's 19 and i know that he is an adult considered an adult in france um but maybe it's one of those things like because who knows if they have something that when they have a certain identification card that they can fill out being like, if I, if something happens to me in result of an accident, my, my organs can be donated. So maybe yeah. it might just be a hospital protocol thing that they have to ask the next living member. Yeah. Um, sure. That, that makes thing. sense. Yeah. This is again, like I said before, it's purely an individual decision. It's one of like, um, I think you and I are quite similar Anisha, in that we don't, we hold our own opinions, but there are certain opinions that you just don't try to um, indoctr indoctrinate within others um, as well. Because I know when it comes to the, the, the body, the cadaver, the whatever it is that you call it after death, um, there are lots of religious, cultural um, traditions, traditions yeah. yeah, things like that, that it, it holds a lot of meaning for that. And so you you can't just say to someone who is like struggling so much with their with their grief with their um mourning that hey no it's just a body now it's just a body don't worry your loved one is gone as much as you want to try there are some people who just they're not going to be able to make that um de detachment and it is quite important for them so literally up to the individual uh, at this stage and, and and yeah yeah and i think with organ like the history of organ donation and transplantation it's kind of started in the 19 like late 1950s and 1960s like i did i did some googling just to kind of see when that started so that's actually pretty recent like if you think about it, it's only started happening in the last century and that could just be like maybe close to less than 100 years ago or so so people who don't feel comfortable it could just be a generational thing mm. because with cultural and religious aspects influencing them it just they just might not feel comfortable being like I don't want someone to cut me open even in the dead like when I'm dead just to like take my stuff out I mean just doing like looking at the body post-mortem I mean not post-mortem I guess yeah, maybe that's the right word <laughs> Word choice. Um, looking at, a, I guess, a cadaver and stuff. I mean, grave robbers and grave diggers would do that. And that was super macabre back then for medical students to just look and work on a corpse to kind of identify the parts of the body. Like there was a point in time where people stole that, stole bodies from graves. So medical students can learn. It's definitely a personal decision. And I do think that if someone in this case, if a child dies and the parents have to do with that, I think they should respect that child's decision if they choose to have their organs donated. Because I do know 
for instance, let's say if Simon did say he wanted his organs donated, would his parents put up a fight? Because that's the whole, that was kind of what the plot was. They were trying to come to terms if they wanted to do that. And the one part of his body that they were really upset about the most was his heart and his eyes. Because to the mom, his heart was who Simon was. Simon was just this, you know, it seemed like he was just this really funny, just like crazy dude who did all this crazy stuff, super like out there. And his eyes were just like a window to his soul for her. So I think she had a really hard time losing that part of his body, even if she won't ever see him look at her or see his eyes that way again, just knowing that it's not there kind of still affects you. But here's the thing as well, right? Oh, I don't know. Maybe it is just consent. It comes down to consent because doctors can easily um, just take the, the organs, right? Just pretend that they're not. Like the, the, there's so much uh, potential here for uh, manipulation. There is. You, you can. And the parents or whoever is left behind, they won't know any different or any better, but it comes down to consent, whether they've um, given permission for that or not. Yeah. How, I don't know, do you, do you personally believe that these organs, they hold any kind of remnants of the people? I think, so I don't know if people do brain transplants now, but I don't know if that's like a thing. Cause I do know at one point, I want to say like a couple of years ago, there was like some recent news article about being a brain transplant or something. I definitely feel like if you transplant a, a, someone else's brain into another person, that definitely will be like a change in person. But like a heart or like kidneys or a lung, I don't think that carries like, I mean, that kind of gets to the aspect of soul or memory or just what makes people themselves like individual stuff. Because, you know, everyone's so different, like and unique. Um, I know like there's always a conversation about whether it's the brain or the heart that carries the most about a person. I think it's the brain because to me, a heart is just an organ that pumps blood. <laughs> Very clinical gets to it. To me, I think a brain makes what makes people so different and unique because it holds memory. It holds all of these different things that make people just who they are. So I think if, let's say, you knew someone who died, but their brain was viable and they transplanted that to someone, you know, totally different, they could have a change in personality. Maybe like, they're starting to pick up things that the person that they got their brain from liked and people are like, you hated that. And they're like, but I love it now. <laughs> so I think that's kind of my thought process, but what about you? Yeah. I, I'm very fascinated by what you said, like the, the heart versus the brain and you choose the brain. It, it got me thinking about why we have such a, like humanity as a whole does have such a strong attachment to the heart. Is it, I, I don't know, in what, which point in like our history did we decide to give it so much significance and associate it with like love and feelings and all these things that resonate with us so deeply? Like when did that happen? I'm curious. I, I wouldn't know. know. But I do know it's I think I know it's definitely like a cultural thing. Like different cultures have specific meanings on the heart. Like for instance, that is the reason why when you get married, you put the wedding ring on the fourth finger because that has a certain vein that goes right to your heart. Like there's a vein that's connected all the way or medical term, you know, things on the inside that's connected to the heart. So there's both a medical and kind of 
spiritual aspect to this, which is interesting and odd because mm. to me, the heart is right. Like I see mainly like a clinical thing. Like that's that to me, sentiments and things that love and stuff, it all has to do with the brain because yes, you know, that, that whole thing of like, do you think with your head or you think with your heart? And I'm like, I think with my head because that's where you think. <laughs> <laughs> It's not possible to think with your heart. Here, science, you know? go read a book. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, do you think with your gut? And it's like, no, I eat with my gut. That's how it is. You know, sometimes I eat with my brain too. Well, well, no. Okay. So the, the, the gut, I'm glad you brought the gut up because it actually has been um, in, in scientific journals. It has, it's, it's riding a new wave as this third, like super critical organ in our decision-making. Cause a lot of times you might, yeah, sure there a lot of eating stuff happens as well but decisions get made with our gut too you talk about your gut in- instinct your your gut just tells you whether you're like vibing with someone or vibing with an idea or something or not um and i know i know it's backed up i haven't read the scientific journals myself but i know it has <laughs> been backed up from um reputable sources um so i, I yeah some some people would argue with you on that gut thing. Um, but yeah, question, Anisha. How likely would we have been to pick this book if it was named The Brain? Probably the same. I feel like, so fun fact, listeners, when we choose books, at least right now through our first season, we're just choosing books that we've seen recommended or are just kind of out there that people have said on Goodreads or wherever that this book, you need to read it, you need to check it out. And we tried to look for books with, you know, different authors, different genres, and specifically authors from different countries, because we we love to read kind of a different culture, cultural perspective on certain things in life, because everybody experiences it differently. So that's really fun for us to just read. So I believe I chose this book, um, I think, for our list. Because I, I wanted to read something that was a medical fiction or something to do with medical because I've never quite read a medical book before because I felt like I wouldn't enjoy it. So I thought this might be a chance for us to do it. And it's science fiction. So, you know, fun stuff. It is. And I am disappointed. Maybe at another point in time, I will pick the book back up and actually finish the thing when I'm in a better, when I've got better capacity to absorb this intense language that is being <laughs> chucked at me um but yeah I, I remember the same thinking because obviously when we choose books both of us need to agree to it and one book that I have read that was similar to this in the pa- past and it, I think it did its rounds on the bestsellers lists um is when breath becomes air and it was a um it was a nonfiction, so it was actually written by this this doctor who um, was diagnosed with, I think it was lung cancer or something of the sort, but essentially it was a thing that he was spending his years researching and trying to cure in other people, and then he gets diagnosed with it, um, so the irony. And I remember I, I enjoyed that purely because of like hearing the thoughts of a person who, who is so close to death, what kind of ruminations they're doing in their own head, um, what are they thinking about? It's like death is a fascinating thing, honestly, as well. We don't we don't talk about it enough, um, but it also does consume us like the fear of, I don't know, the fear of death is something that you'd kind of just put in the 
back burner until it comes close. See, I don't quite believe that specifically. I think humans, when they're born, have are kind of born with two fears. They're afraid of death and they're afraid of darkness because we don't know what's in the darkness. We can't see what's in the darkness because there's no light. Like, for instance, what terrifies me, I know this is like a fear of people. So anyone else has this fear, like definitely DM us and be like, yeah, this is legit. (laughs) This is my fear. (laughs) But you know how like in the ocean, I forgot what the deepest ocean is, but we've only like just gone below a certain level, like below that where the light doesn't hit, we've never gone that far. And people theorize that there might be creeper, like creepy sea creatures that are like, you know, the size of like countries and stuff. And I'm like, that terrifies me. You don't know what's <laughs> down there. Um, and that's the dark and death. I feel like humans over time and in general are always afraid of death because we don't know what happens after death. Literally, no one knows. Yeah, but and why like, is it always- The concept of afterlife. Yeah. It's just, you know, question mark. I do feel like that it does get, as much as it is a real fear, it does get put on the back burner because like the, I hear all the time people saying like, you might assume that the fear of death is like number one in, in our population, but apparently it's like the fear of public speaking or something just the totally normal stuff. <laughs> the normal stuff. I don't know. See, that's the thing. Like we don't, I feel like we, uh, we don't really acknowledge death unless it's like I don't know culturally ingrained within us and um it is a conversation that is is had amongst our community but I I feel like we don't really address it I mean it could be because like at least within our generation like I feel like I mean I I think we both identify as like kind of zillennials like both millennial and then gen z but we are part of those generations who are like live life love this <laughs> live laugh love like oh no <laughs> so I feel like we spend so much time being like live your best life you know you a queen like all this like you know pro life do it now kind of vibe that you know when there's no more <laughs> it's just not the cup of tea <laughs> we don't acknowledge what's the opposite of live laugh love um die cry hate <laughs> New sticker alert. <laughs> Die cry hate. <laughs> I almost want the third one to rhyme as well. Die cry. I don't know. Guys, hit us with your good ideas. Um, yeah, I don't know if I subscribe to that. Honestly, with, with some of my friends, we, we mock because you'll see it anyway. In like, if you go to anyone, any white person's home, there will be a okay that's a little stereotype <laughs> but to be fair it's 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 pretty it's kind of an accurate stereotype I mean I don't want to say like all white people do it but it's one of those things that I feel like the Karens out there might have just saying just it, it saying. is a stereotype that time and time proves itself to be true <laughs> yes I um, love love you always find it at some home goods for sure Oh, and the, the amount of Airbnbs I've been to as well, where it's just like, you know, Ikea <laughs> furniture, and then you've got always the little decorational piece that does have live, laugh, love. It's it's become a, yeah, it's been a thing for quite a while. Um, But yeah, what were we talking about? Death. <laughs> <laughs> Get life. Let's talk about death. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do you fear again, death? This, me? Um, I think I fear knowing that I'm going to die. 
I think that's what I'm afraid of. Because I always think about, there's two things I think about with death. I think about the moments you have leading up to you dying, which is where you actively know like, oh my God, my body is shutting down. And that freaks me out because that sounds like hell. Like you can just feel like, you know, like people talk about when they witness someone take their last breath, how it's like a look of shock on their face if they see it present. So my hope in life is that if I am going to die, hopefully long down the line, <laughs> if you heard a knock, that was me knocking on wood. <laughs> superstitious. <laughs> um, but I hope to die in my sleep because I don't want to be like actively knowing that I'm dying. And then I guess that the other thing with death is like, I myself have never seen anyone actively die. Like, I don't want to see someone actively die. I feel like that would really, at least in my own perspective, would fuck me up a lot because you just, I feel like I recycle so many memories of different people in my mind and that would just linger with that person. So I really hope I never witnessed that. Like, I might even, if, like, I just, I would never wish that on anyone and I just don't wish that upon myself. But what about you? What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm thinking about this like how us people witnessing death directly death is actually something that in when it comes to the media and like television and film and all that we are quite desensitized to it but still it you know those um those parents who are like yeah video games are gonna make my children more violent i don't know how my brain linked to that idea but i was just like yeah seeing death in in film and in books and all of that it still doesn't it's still not the same as actually witnessing death yourself as much as you can get desensitized to the idea of death seeing it in front of you explicitly there is going to be a different thing because i'm the same i i don't think no i haven't seen um yeah it probably is a fear but it's it's probably like i, I rationalize it by like hey the chances of me dying anytime soon <laughs> hopefully are quite low um although i do take risky um movements each day sitting in a car driving all so risky <laughs> living very- <laughs> i thought you were gonna say something like really no. like yeah i go bungee jumping i surf <laughs> i go like hang gliding you know <laughs> i eat yards. you know people have been known to die from eating <laughs> <laughs> sorry i should have laughed <laughs> oh no we've reached that place um again <laughs> Should we shut this thing down? <laughs> Do you have any more <laughs> thoughts um, about the book? No, I think we've kind of got to the point of this. So anyone else, you know, listeners out there, DM us, email us, contact us if you want. We, we like participation, guys. Um, what are your thoughts if you read The Heart or if you have any other medical fictions that you think would be interesting for us to read and to talk about? And our next book that we will be discussing next week is uh, The Lowland by Jumpa Lahiri. Yeah, so this is a book that I'm excited about because it's sat, I, um, I bought a copy in a secondhand bookshop in a mountainous region and then it just sat on my bookshelf unread. So the, the guilt in me is picking to read this next. See you all next week. <laughs>